0: It's lovely to be with you this morning. Um, we've got a few Bibles on the sides. If you haven't got one, you might want to grab them, because I will tell you a little bit about me, but I'm not as exciting as the story that we're going to look at. And we're going to be in the book of Ruth um, today, so you may want to find that. It's a little bit tricky, because it's kind of like a small book that comes just after Judges. So when you're flicking through, it's quite easy to, to kind of miss it. Um, or if you've got it on your phone, maybe that's easier to find, but... Here we go. So we're going to be in the book of Wreath and uh, get some notes. Lovely. So what I'm kind of hoping to do a little bit this morning is... I hope it will be kind of quite relaxing, because I know I've just gone and got you to go and get Bibles, and sometimes that can have that feeling of like, oh, this is going to be like a heavy session. Um, But actually that we're going to kind of relax into the story of Reith and enjoy meeting some of the characters. So that's my hope, and that God's going to speak to us uh, through that. He always speaks through his word. Um, I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, So I've got three children, and we also have a dog, and um, it was brought home to me quite recently how bad I am at taking time to really follow instructions. I don't know what your lives are like, ladies, but if you remember that season of life, if you had them when you've got kids running around your ankles and you're trying to work and you've got lots going on, I kind of wing a lot of my life because things are just too busy. And uh, anyway, so we got this dog, and it was learning sort of toilet training. And like a toddler, it was making a few messes inside occasionally. And so my husband said, Nick, we've got a spray. Just use the spray. So I just grabbed this spray, and I sprayed it all over the house, literally everywhere, thinking, making the massive assumption that this spray was a deterrent, from weeing all over the house. So I sprayed it everywhere, all over the sofas, all on the floor, everywhere. And, uh, you know, a week passed or so and I was like, oh, Rich, I just feel like the dog's like going backwards. It's like getting worse. He's sort of weeing like in more places around the house. It's terrible. And Rich was like, well, did you use the spray? And I was like, yeah, I sprayed it like everywhere. And at that moment, his face fell. He was like, Nick, you're meant to spray the spray in one little place, and that's to encourage the dog, where to we? So there we go. We had a very smelly house for a while. Um, but I think it highlighted to me a little bit of the, the rush in my life in general, the kind of attention to, to detail, the, the kind of following God closely stuff so often gets pushed aside into my plowing on ahead and getting on with what I've got to do. And I think this morning we come to an interesting place in scripture where we finish the end of the book of Judges says this, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So we're in a season in the Bible history where basically everyone just gets on, takes charge and does what they see fit without following God's instructions and without following God's ways. If you flick to the end of the book of Ruth, we're into 1 Samuel and God's people are continuing to go a funny way. They're just sort of doing, again, their own thing. They're losing battles all over the place because they go and grab the Ark of the Covenant and carry it into battle. They're just basically doing their own thing without following God's ways and God's instructions. And I don't know about you. I don't think it's necessarily worse than it's been in the past but we're certainly in a season, aren't we, in the UK where we're just doing our own thing. Where largely massive parts of our culture no longer uh, listen to, to this at all. And so I find the book of Ruth really interesting because right in the middle of this section of scripture where most people, even God's people, are just getting on and doing their own thing. We get introduced to two really lovely characters, Ruth and Boaz. And in the midst of everything else that's happening, they are being faithful to God's ways. They are listening to God's instructions and they are following him. And if I'm honest, for me, uh, it's one of the more boring bits of the Bible. Uh, This depends on your personality, right? Because if you like a romance story, Ruth's good. Um, But I quite like the action of, like, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, the big fish that swallows Jonah. That's, like, dramatic. I'm quite quite hungry for the dramatic things. And so the book of Ruth, to me, is a little bit dull, if I'm honest. It's a little bit boring. Basically, uh, a younger girl ends up sort of marrying this older dude and they have a baby, the end. Basically, that's it. Um, And so it's a little bit boring. But as I reflected on that a little bit more, I found it deeply encouraging because there's huge chunks of my own life that are just very ordinary. And somehow in the midst of these two incredibly ordinary, slightly, you know, just, just people living at that time where nothing dramatic much happens, God favours their faithfulness in listening to him in such a way that God goes, yes, I love those guys. They are awesome. And through them, I am leaving a legacy. And they may not have looked very exciting to anybody else around them. But their faithfulness to God means that God gives a big tick, a big yes over their lives. And so they have this baby that ends up being the great, great grandparent to King David and ultimately to Jesus. God loves them so much that his, I'm going to put my own self into their family line. So much do I love and enjoy their faithfulness to me. And so we're going to kind of look at them and I'm going to just spend the next few minutes kind of contrasting them. I'm going to try and be like Ruth over here and then Boaz over here. And I just want you to meet these two ordinary characters and we're going to look at their lives. And so I'll just give you one start. So we've got Ruth over here. Ruth is faithful as a young person. And Boaz over here is faithful to God as an older person. And we know that he was quite a bit older than Ruth because in chapter three, he says, Ruth, you could have gone after the younger men, but no, you're faithful to God. You listen to God and you choose out of your faithfulness to marry me. Um, so we know that he was older so we've got boaz who was older and ruth who is younger and sometimes in our society sometimes in our church sometimes even by beautiful pictures like the one you've got up here we can sort of honor or glamorize the young sometimes the young people feel all the old people get the attention and they've got the louder most convincing voices so they get their way And I think one of the first things I sort of want to say to you, church, is God actually doesn't really care about our age. We do. We fixate on it a bit. God doesn't care. Whether you're young or old today, God's call on you is to be faithful to him in the circumstance you find yourself, whether you are 20 or 80 or anything else, either side of that or in between. And so here we meet these two beautiful people, a young person and an older person, both being faithful to God and God loves them. We're going to dive in and we're going to read chapter three, and then I'm going to share a few more contrasts between these two wonderful people. And we're going to see how they're faithful in their ordinary ways. Um, Actually, is there anyone here who loves reading? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I was putting you on the spot. She told me to be a little bit interactive. That's it. You can relax now. I'll just talk the rest of the time. That's fine. Okay. So I will read chapter three to us. And um, if you don't know the story of Ruth, it's just four chapters. So if you're looking for something in the Bible to read this week, why not pick it up and have a read? But chapter three, because I like the action, chapter three is the most juicy bit of the story. So we're going to read that. Here we go. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman a of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. "'Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer.' "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied. "'This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. "'You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. "'And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. "'All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character.' Although it is true that I am nearer of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her, and then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother in law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And then she told him everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother in law empty handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, it's it's a strange little passage. Um, I'm not sure any of the mothers in the room would recommend this tactic for getting a husband, Uh, wait till he's drunk and go and lie at his feet and then uh, go lie in his bed. Um, I'm not sure (laughs) that's where we would go today with uh, trying to get a husband, But back then, just so we know a little bit of the context, um, it was a very different view of romance, marriage and love to what we have today. So it's quite hard for us to get our heads into that kind of context and understanding. But it was much more perfunctory. It was much more um, survival. It was much more a culture where, sadly, uh, it was the males that were revered and you needed a male son in which to provide for you to keep hold of your property and your land. And that was a society and culture within which these people are living and working with. Now we know that our God didn't intend that and he's leading us towards more equality and things but at this time that was the way things worked and so if you were widowed uh, there, there was a kind of deal really that that someone in the family needed to take you on that you wouldn't be left in poverty but that you would become the wife of someone and so there's somebody else who's a closer relative than Boaz who could do this job Um, but Boaz is the one they've got to know and so this is the story of how she comes to Boaz and says oi Boaz you're meant to redeem me actually this is something you're meant to do culturally and you haven't yet but I won't kind of rub that in your face. I'll respectfully ask you very gently. And Boaz, we don't know if like he was a bit embarrassed to redeem Ruth because he was older and he was like, you know, you could have gone after the younger men and you're a woman of noble character. Maybe Boaz was slightly in awe of Ruth. And that's why he hadn't stepped in sooner to sort of see what the situation was. But now here, the situation is right before him. And so he's going to do something about it and he's going to sort it out and make sure that Ruth and Naomi are safe and part of a family. And so that's what's going on in this passage. The, the kind of lying at someone's feet, it is much more a place of a servant. It wasn't particularly sexual. Um, it sounds quite sexual to us. Um, but it was more that humbling sort of coming to him and sort of saying, look, This is something you need to be doing. This is something that culturally you need to be sorting out. And so we have this funny old story of Wreath and Boaz. So here we go. We're going to have a little look at a few things. First thing I want to just mention is that in life, we sometimes find ourselves in positions of authority and power. And there are other times when we don't. So there are some times when we get to play first chair, as I call it, with the leader of a group or in our family or in our community. We're the first chair with a leader. And Boaz is a first chair man. He's a businessman. He's a leader in his business. He owns lots of fields. He knows all his workers. Um, And we see his faithfulness in being a first chair in the way he acts in lots of little details in the story. But one of the main ways we see it is what happens in the story is that Ruth comes to work in his field. And he knows, Boaz, as he looks over the field, he knows all of his many workers in the field so that he recognises Ruth as a new person who's come into his field. Can you think about how many business leaders there are, how many leaders that just kind of ignore their minions don't really know what's going on beneath them that much? But Boaz is a really faithful man in that he knows the people who work for him. And we see him being a good first chair leader in the way he relates. He then protects Ruth. He says to his other workers in the field, look, do not attack that woman at all. She's vulnerable. I can see that. You be kind to her. You make sure you leave food for her to pick up and you respect her. And such a good relationship that he has with his workers that they do exactly what he says. Now you only do exactly what someone says who's your boss if you respect them. Especially if it means you're going to get less food to pick up yourself because he's asking you to leave some behind for her. So he has this good relationship with those that are working for him. We see him being a good boss, a good leader, a good first chair. The other way that we see Boaz being faithful as a first chair leader is that he takes time to listen to God's ways. You see, God had told the Israelites how to farm. And he taught them to leave edges of their fields unharvest. So that the poor in society always had food and could always come and get some. Now, we just heard at the end of Judges that all Israel was just doing whatever they wanted. They weren't listening to God. So I don't know whether other people at that time were being as faithful as Boaz in making sure he did leave things for the poor. But what a great example of being a good first chair we have in Boaz. And that there'll be times in our lives when we get to play first chair, even if it's in our our little family circle, maybe in church, maybe we get to lead a ministry or lead a toddler group or whatever, where we play first chair. And God's calling on us when we're in that position is above all else to be faithful to him. Because it is so tempting when you're the one in charge to uh, be overwhelmed by the task, (laughs) to rely on other things to stimulate you, to accumulate wealth and stuff for yourself, to get the glory. And God's call on you is just be faithful to me. You keep acting out my instructions and obeying them. Then we get Ruth, and Ruth is a second chair person. She doesn't get to be the leader in any situation. And I don't know about you, whether you you, you often find yourself in that position. You know, there's a stronger member of the family. Uh, perhaps like Ruth, you have a dominating mother-in-law who's definitely first chair in your family. I don't know. Um, But Ruth finds herself in this kind of slightly awkward position of being the second chair in in these relationships. And being the second chair is quite hard because you're essentially being asked to serve somebody else who's leading. And in Ruth, we we see this coming out in the story in really interesting ways. So if you don't know the story, Ruth's uh, mother-in-law, Naomi and Ruth, they've been living in Moab area. And Naomi's husband died. They traveled there probably because there was famine. They'd gone there. But Naomi's husband dies and her two sons, one of which Ruth was married to, also die. And they're left kind of poverty stricken in Moab. And she decides what we'll do is we'll go back to my people in Israel. We'll travel back. And what happens is that Ruth incredibly decides to follow Naomi and follow Naomi's God and travels back with her. And what we see as the story goes on is we find a really depressed Naomi in chapter two. She's got back to Israel, her home, and she's super depressed because she's used like all her energy to make that decision, to make that big move from one place to another. And we don't know when she got back if she was received very warmly or not by her people. Some of her people might have resented her because in the difficult times, she'd run away to somewhere else. She might have come back into a situation where she wasn't particularly popular. She was certainly isolated a little bit, and she kind of falls into a bit of depression. And here's Ruth going, ah, my leader, my first chair, is depressed, She's not making very clever decisions. Um, We're kind of stuck now in this new place, and we're about to starve. And so she very graciously goes to her and says, look, um, mother-in-law, dear, um, you know, just so we don't kind of starve, how about if I go and just go and pick up some food in the fields with the poorer ladies? Why don't you let me just do this for us? Um, and so in a point where the first chair's kind of depressed and failed out a bit, we see second chair Ruth stepping up very graciously, very gently, suggesting humbly a way forward. And so we see her as this incredibly faithful woman serving her mother-in-law. And we then see, as we saw in chapter three, that kind of humble coming towards Boaz and saying, look, actually, Boaz, you're meant to have sorted this this relationship out. You haven't yet, but I'll do it humbly. Here I am. I'm your servant. Come on. Let's go. I don't know about you, but playing second chair is really hard. And I think this is why it's called the book of Ruth and not the book of Boaz, because she has a much harder role to play in, in many respects. And she has to be a lot braver. But whether we find ourselves in life in the position of first chair or second chair, God's call to us is, will you be faithful to me? Regardless of what position you find yourself in. And I don't know about you, but I certainly find it really easy to go, well, God, it would be all right to serve you if I was this person, or if I had this personality, or you gave me this role in life, or I got to run this how I wanted to, or my whole family listened to my idea. That would be great. That would be easier. There's something about being in the position or place we find ourselves in. And sometimes, yes, it's right to challenge that. But often it's right to sort of say, okay, here I am. What does it look like, Lord, for me to be faithful to you in this place, this time? What does that look like? And my mother in law was staying with me this week because my husband was away, and uh, you know, yeah, it was quite challenging. (laughs) Uh, It's not easy, is it, when we get down to the nitty gritty? What does it mean to be faithful to you, God? In the relationship and the places that you've called me to be in. So we see that. You know what? There's tons of other ways that they are different. We meet Boaz, who's a national, an Israelite, a true person. We have Ruth, who's a foreigner, an alien, an unholy person, an outsider. It's different being faithful to God in that place to being faithful to God over here in Boaz's place. And yet, whichever place you find yourself in, God's call remains, be faithful to me. And I think with Ruth, you see this incredible thing as this foreigner, as this outcast, as this unholy, non-Israelite woman choosing nonetheless to worship the true God. I mean, wow, what faith, what an amazing woman to turn her back on her own culture, to come to a foreign land and to worship their God because she's recognized something of the truth through the stories Naomi's told her, no doubt, but she's come to faith. And she stands in that awkward place of not even really being fully allowed into the community. Yet she stands. And as she does so, you notice in chapter three, the people around her, Boaz says. You are a woman of noble character. All my fellow townsmen know that. And as she quietly gets on with being faithful to God, even in the difficulties of being an outsider, God blesses her. And it's clear for all to see that she is his. She is a woman of noble character. I'm going to end with just one final difference. And this is to wake you up a little bit. Boaz is a man of plenty. He is rich. But he's also, he's a full man. And do you know what he's full of? He's full of sperm. And that's important uh, because they need to have a baby and he's full. Ruth, on the other hand, is empty and poor. And as far as we know, she's barren. If you go back to chapter one in Ruth, you will notice that she had been married to one of Naomi's sons. And I wonder if you flick back over that chapter, you will see how long she was married to one of the sons. She was probably married to him, it would seem from that chapter, for about 10 years. Now, of course, we know that Naomi's son might have been the one that had the infertility issues, but in that culture at that time, for a woman to have been married for about 10 years and not to have produced a child, she would have been labelled as barren. And here's what I find utterly remarkable about this story, is that even though she's barren as far as she knows and the culture would understand and she's not yet produced a child she still puts herself forward to go through with this plan of marrying someone else to get a child does that not strike you as utterly remarkable faith I mean like if it was me I'd have been like well we could get married but you know the thing we're all waiting for, the baby, may never come. This is weird. And yet somehow she decides to be obedient enough to what she knows and just to what she can understand that she follows through with her mother-in-law's plan and offers herself, as it were, to be Boaz's wife. And I find that incredible. And I also find it encouraging because do you know what? Sometimes I feel full, full of the spirit, full of the joy of the Lord, full of things I feel I've got to offer. And oh my goodness, there are other days when I feel dry as anything. I feel far from the Lord and I feel like I have nothing to offer. And again, do you know what God says? I think he kind of says, but with a smile and a hug. I don't really care how you feel. Whether you feel full or you feel empty, my calling to you is nonetheless the same. Will you faithfully get on with walking my ways? Will you give me your life and let me in return give you life in all its fullness. And there's this beautiful line in chapter four, and it just says this. It says, the Lord then opened her womb. And as she stepped forth in her faithfulness to God, and he did then enable this child to come, it's very clear that it's the Lord's doing for his purpose and in response to their incredible faithfulness. And so through them, the Lord leaves a legacy. Now, we just need to be really careful here this morning, because I am really aware that there are many of us women who will struggle to have children and can't have children. And it's not a sign of God saying you're not faithful to him if he decides, for whatever reason, not to provide that miracle for you. And we need to be very gentle with one another in the way we interpret this story. It's not it's not about the issue of fertility. It's about him blessing their faithfulness and this long line of legacy He's going to leave through them. Whatever God calls us to in this life, whether he blesses us with children or not, whether he calls us to places where we'll be first chair or second chair, whether we feel full or empty, whether we are old or young, God just says, will you be faithful to me in the very ordinariness of the circumstances you find yourself? And if you are, I will always leave legacy through those people. The woman who blessed me the most as I grew up as a child was a single lady in our church who did not have children. And she got on just being faithful to God in different ways. And when I was nine years old, she said to me, Nicola, we're going to do an all-age service at Christmas. I want you to do the talk. She blessed me so much. Oh dear, she's right. Um And so she blessed me so much that um, that it meant that I, as quite a shy person, had a chance to do a talk. And I don't know, like... She probably didn't know. That would make such a massive difference on my life as I then felt God calling me to maybe be a vicar. Um, through our faithfulness to God, wherever we are, he blesses it and will leave his legacy through it. Because what's important to him in many ways, is, is not our circumstances. It matters to us because we have to journey through the pain, the hardship, the wrestle, the giving over of ourselves again and again and again in each season. Oh, Lord, this is what you've given me in this season. Okay, i give it to you again. And we have to go through that, and it matters to us. But to him, I think he's much less concerned. Him uh, mean, he cares for us, but he's much more concerned with our hearts Repeatedly being turned towards him and our eyes lifted to look at him because he knows the eternity that he is inviting us into where there'll be no more tears, where his shower, his blessings upon us so fully as we see him and we're transformed into his likeness finally and our last bits of rubbish get stripped off us and we get to stand there in his glory and experience his presence so powerfully forever and ever as we worship him. And that's where we're headed But in the midst of changing nappies, of uh, doing the school run, of getting up to work each day, of looking after an elderly relative, those things get, a sense of eternity can get kind of lost in us. I I mean, that's why we come here, isn't it? We come to church, to just be reminded again, to be re-envisioned again. And so this morning, just my sense, Ava, all of us in this room, is that God says, I I can put a legacy through you. I can leave a legacy through you. Just commit to being faithful to me again, as much as you can with what you understand and with what you've been given. Just be faithful to me again. Don't you dare think your ordinary life is insignificant or unimportant. It is not. Look what I did through Boaz and Ruth. No, I didn't part the sea with them. No, they didn't get to walk on water. No, they didn't. there's no healing miracles in there. No, there's nothing much dramatic that happened. But because they loved me, because they chose in their circumstances that they would put me first, that they would be faithful to me, I was able to leave legacy through them. Should we just stand for a moment? Because I've I've been talking for a long time. Should we stand? And um, I really want to honor the time of your meeting. So, yeah. 10 o'clock it finishes. 10.30. We've got half an hour. Amazing. But but I'm not going to take half an hour more. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I want to do something that's... um, might feel a little bit odd. Uh, But as we're standing, I would just like us to wait on God. Um, I've said a lot of life is for most of us in different ways. Um, It's very noisy, whether that's media around us or actual physical noise. There's a lot of noise that comes at us. And I just want us to wait on God. Um, I'm going to leave it for a while and so you might think, what is she doing? We've been quiet for a really long time and it's getting a bit awkward. I'm going to leave it till it feels a bit awkward. So what I would like you to do is to relax into it. And that might mean for some of you that you do need to sit down. Uh, the reason I just got us to stand is, you know, we've been sitting down and I've been talking too much. But just to kind of, kind of go, OK, Lord, I'm ready. And I just want us to wait. And I'm just learning in my own self that when we wait on God, nothing may happen. and We may feel nothing. But I know that as we're obedient to doing it, you will discover in this next bit of the week a fresh strength from him to be his follower. Because he promises it. And he's always faithful to his promises. So we're going to just wait on him. Because as we do this, it's an act of obedience to him. And we want to let him speak above all the rest of the noise of our life if he wants to. Or if he wants to do nothing because he just wants us to be still, that's good. He might just need to do that for some of us. And so I'm just going to pray and then we're going to have this long time of waiting in quiet. (laughs) And so if you want to sit down. That's fine. Um, but just try and keep, keep it sort of fairly quietish in here, and we're just going to wait. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Ruth and for Boaz. Thank you for the example they are to us in faithful living. Thank you for the way they honoured you above other people, above other relationships. And God, just as we wait here today, I just pray that you would strengthen us all strengthen us to be your faithful followers where you've placed us any lie of the enemy that we're nothing that there's not much point to our life that we're just a bit ordinary dull or anything like that any lies would you lift off us would you refresh us in the truth of your word this morning that you love to leave legacy through very ordinary faithful followers let that truth sink deep into our heads and hearts and may it inspire us to keep going with you, and to keep praying. And so Holy Spirit, would you come now as we wait and would you be the one that ministers to us this morning? So come Holy Spirit. We welcome you now as we wait.